Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the pod of DC. I'm your host, Rick Bernstein. I hope you're having a fine, fine day. Leah Rushlow is a licensed health coach, a certified personal trainer, a mentor to many, as well as Mrs. DC America 2018. And that's how we first met on stage during the Mrs. DC America pageant first in 2017. On this episode of the pod, Leah talks about her move to DC from a formative upbringing in the Midwest, how through her pageant competitions in 2017 and 2018 really helped brighten her inherent light through therapy, meditation, self-care, and through the support of her husband, Jay. This is where Leah began her health journey and her getting to know the why on how often and why we eat and not so much of the what. Leah coaches her clients to have all the things and not just live in restriction mode. Having met Leah during the time of the pageant and all-consuming expectations that demands and talking with her now on the other side and flourishing as an entrepreneur is a true delight. So here she is, Leah Rushlow. Enjoy. Seems like it has kind of a, a mini lifetime been led in the last seven years. That's always how I am because everyone's like, how do you squeeze so much into one year? And I'm like, I don't know. Ask me next year. <laughs> <laughs> Does the location come with the changes or are you kind of just in your mind? It doesn't matter where you are. Those changes are going to be coming. Uh, it's a little bit of both, I think. I mean, but a lot of people would be like, okay, if I moved, I have to stop doing X or I can't do this anymore. Or, and I just, I don't know, location for me has never defined what I'm going to do. I'll make it work mm -hmm. wherever. And I think I told you when I lived in Virginia, DC and didn't really love it, it was my therapist at the time finally looked at me and she goes, Leah, if the president of the United States can live here, do you feel like you can make it work for a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you're probably right. And that's kind of what led me down the path of trying to learn to love DC, even though I didn't want to live there. It's hard. I know I'm a homer too. born here. I mean, grew up an hour South of DC college, two hours away back in DC for 22, almost 23 years now. I don't know any other place. Is that sad? No, I mean, it's not sad because there's nostalgic that comes with not knowing any other place. But I mean, last night as I was watching the fireworks above the mountains, <laughs> I right. mean, nothing beats that. And it was so basically where we live, you can see the whole skyline of the city. You could basically see, let, let's say, 100 people's fireworks. And then you just had the mountains above them. It was... Uh, insane. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Just to give the audience an idea of how you and I first met, which is on stage during the Mrs. DC America pageant uh, process, your bio at the time, you were a newlywed. Yep. You had studied arts in college. You enjoyed fitness and singing. You even apparently had a stint on American Idol. Is that true? That was, yes. Back in those singing days. How did that all transpire? So most people don't understand, especially for any of the big shows, there's always um, mini auditions before the big shows. So you have to like get through the mini auditions to even get to the big show. So that was essentially like a mini audition. And then out of that, I think they took, I don't know, maybe three or four of us. And then we had to compete again. But I had a lot of confidence issues. And I think that's something that every young female struggles with, but not enough people talk about. And I was listening to a podcast actually earlier this week about someone talking about, you know, the stories that little girls hear as opposed to the stories that little boys hear when we're 
younger, they tell us very, very different things. So, you know, she was talking about how Little Red Riding Hood, right? The whole premise of the story is stay on the path or you're going to get eaten by a wolf. So essentially, Mm -hmm. like, stay safe. Don't divert. Don't do anything that's not out of the norm because then things might end poorly for you. Mm -hmm. It's interesting when you look at that as opposed to the stories about little boys or involving little boys. You know, their trajectory is completely different. And so I think for a younger female, you're trying to navigate while people tell you, you know, you better look pretty today. You better act like a nice little girl. Mm. Don't have too many opinions. Don't go too far left when everyone else says for you to go right. Don't become an entrepreneur when you should get a four-year degree. You know, all of these different rules that we have, right? And so I think at the time, I just couldn't navigate that confidence of knowing that I think I've always wanted to be an entertainer and a performer, but never realizing how that would work out financially. Because financially, mm, right. you got to have a nine to five job to make your life work. That was the story that I had been told. You know, money was hard to come by. Money was hard to get. Uh, only people who have a four-year degree are successful. Lots of limiting beliefs in that area. Did you look at entering that pageant as a way to kind of overcome that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I ran twice. So my first year I had done zero prep. I didn't have a coach. I had nothing and I got second runner up. Uh, But I was definitely not in my peak shape by any means. And then the second year I was like, well, what if you actually put effort into it? You know, what if you actually prepped? (laughs) So then going into it the second time, yes, there was so much self-work that I did. um, But at the same token, it was fitness, it was mental, it was emotional. I feel like there's a lot of emotional work. And that's why you see women who have done 10 pageants and they've never won. And for me, I'm like, give me, you know, two hours with them because it has nothing to do with where they are physically. It has everything to do with the story that they're telling themselves inside their head. And thinking about who else is walking the stage, that's one bit of advice that I try to pass on to even now ahead of these competitions is just focus on yourself. Bring out your best self. Don't be comparing, contrasting, because that's what everybody does. You're slowing yourself down, looking to the side. You are. And again, when you're in that comparison mind ca- mindset, you, you can't create and you're never going to get, reach the level of success that you want to when you're in that comparison space. Mm-hmm. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you're competing in life for. I don't care if it's work. I don't care if it's pageants, you know, fitness competitions. It's all the same. You know, mm-hmm. if you want to make a million dollars and you're staring at everyone else who's making a million dollars going, I can never do that. You won't. The story inside your head is exactly going to be the reality of your life. So then let's fast forward. So we get through the first competition in 2017. You come back in 2018. You take the crown. Mm -hmm. You are Mrs. DC America 2018. You get crowned. You go to nationals. You place in the top 15. You serve your year, appearances and whatnot. But then after you do mention, you kind of reflect and look back and you say, and this is a quote, some women believe that winning a crown will change your life and make you into who you are. That is completely false. What do you mean by that? I mean that... If you're in a bad space before you win the crown, you will be the exact same person after. If you are a beautiful shining light and want to spread love and positivity, that's exactly what you will do. And that's kind of where I felt when I was at the end. You know, when I went to nationals, my sole goal was to be in top 15. 
I didn't try any harder than top 15. And that may sound bad, but by the time I got to nationals, I was so tired. And I was tired of this, you have to look perfect 24-7. And, you know, so many people commenting on photos and so many people saying, oh, she looks tired today or, you know, she's done this. And I don't think people truly understand the amount of work that goes into being a pageant title holder for an entire year. Mm -hmm. I mean, you essentially put your life and your wants and needs on hold. It's not a pity party by any means because I'm so blessed to have done it. But I think that more people should know because when they see a beauty queen, a lot of times at these events and they're like, oh, I want to take a photo. You know, I want to line up to say hi to this person. They're not doing it going, wow, it's so nice. This person came out to do it. They're like, oh, this is their job. This is what they do. It is, but this is not a job we get paid for. (laughs) This is not a job that we're collecting a paycheck on. So, you know, just to walk you through one of my normal days when I was Mrs. D.C., We lived about 45 minutes outside of the city, so we had a fitness sponsor in the city that I utilized. So I would get up a lot of times at 4 in the morning, drive into D.C. to work out with my fitness sponsor, go work at my corporate job all day, go to events all night, and then get up and do it all over again the following day. So, you know, not being at home, not seeing my husband, not seeing my dog, who at the time, you know, my baby. and I feel like a lot of people don't know what goes into it. So for me, by the time I got to nationals, I was just tired, tired of the judgment and the, you have to look perfect 24 seven because we're flawed women. We don't look perfect 24 seven. I had always been a very bright light ever since I was younger, but over time people say things to women and this is not to say they don't say it to men, but it's much more, it is widely accepted for someone to comment on a woman's appearance, you know, whether she's a five-year-old and they're like, oh, you're a little chubby, don't eat cake. Fast forward to she's 13 and now kind of in this awkward stage with her body, right? And then someone else has something else to say about that. So I think that I had been performer, 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 had some childhood trauma things happen to me that I never told anyone about. And that kind of led me down this path of numbing and not being in the spotlight anymore because I had gotten to a place of kind of not being able to handle the pain but didn't know what to do about it. Fast forward, that led me to being in D.C., finally started going to therapy. When I finally just started started to get in the spotlight again, it was almost like everything clicked for me. Oh, here's this bright light that was always there, but now I've done the work to realize how I'd gotten to the space where I couldn't be in the spotlight anymore and I couldn't be in that space. And I think that's where a lot of women have things happen. Even 10, 15, 20 years ago, like mental health was not something people focused on. If you were sad, they just said, you're sad, move on. But we don't talk about it. Um, I was actually doing a webinar the other day and someone had said to me, like, you can't talk about being molested on a a webinar. (laughs) And I was like, but that's my truth. (laughs) So if I can't speak my truth in every capacity of the life that I'm living, that's not a life that I want anymore. Because I want people to be able to hear my story and everything that I went through to then get to a place where now I can be the best version of myself and help other people heal through the same thing. 
So were you kind of coming to terms with those things before the pageant or was it once you got a platform in a different sense and then you started just becoming more comfortable, even more so in your own skin, which you, you immediately had always struck me as just somebody so refreshingly real and, you know, without the facade, even though those kinds of things come with the territory a lot of ways. So we're, what are we talking about here? Are we talking early 20s, mid 20s? Yeah. So I would say, so we, I did not start going to therapy and really unpacking my baggage, so to speak, <laughs> until probably 2016, which was the year that I got married. So then fast forward to early 2017, when I did the pageant, I was, let's say on the almost falling into the ocean part of my healing mm. journey, but had not fallen in yet. So really that next year when I was prepping, and then also the following year when I won Mrs. DC was a big two years of growth for me. Lots of talking, lots of therapy, lots of meditation and self-care that I think I hadn't done for years. Um, and realizing that so many women in this space, and this is where my health journey came into, I remember Jay and I going out to dinner one weekend, right? Or we'd have drinks or something. And it was always going to the gym for me at the time was about punishing my body for the food or drink that I had just consumed. Rather than let me work out because it feels amazing to move my body and it's great for my body. And I think a lot of women in the space of modeling pageants, they work out to punish their bodies for whatever they've consumed rather than let me nourish my body and work it out in a way that feels amazing to me. So if you're someone who, and I think a lot of women do pageants to find themselves in a way. And if, if you're in that space, a pageant's going to bring out every insecurity that you have in yourself. And you can quote me on that. <laughs> it is going to bring out every insecurity. And that's exactly what it did for me the first year. And then I had to work through every single insecurity for the following years until I competed again. Mm. Can you think, though, objectively, had that spotlight not been kind of harsh. You feel like you'd still be maybe somewhere eh, kind of in between still trying to figure these things out? Or had you rooted your veganism and being a licensed health coach and nutrition expert and that sort of thing? Would you have found this space or would you still be looking for it or feeling like it's there, but trying to find out, okay, how do we, how do we get this out? How do we change people's mindsets? I think that my clients are always a mirror of me. So would I have gotten here? I hope so eventually, but not in the expedited route that I'm in because I was very comfortable making a very large salary and banking for, you know, 13, 14 years. Mm -hmm. But being in the pageant and being able to essentially start loving on so many different people, I feel like I, I just was like, what am I doing? I can't do this anymore. And that's exactly what happened is I looked at my husband and said, I'm going to quit my job. And he said, you're insane. <laughs> and no, please don't quit your job. And now he just knows no matter what, I'm going to be successful and make it work. So mm -hmm. it was the best thing I ever did. But would I have been able to do it as quickly? I don't know, because there is a sense of confidence that you have after coming off of a year where, you know, people do want to be around you and your opinion does matter. The events that you go to and, you know, just having that level up, you don't want to go back to a space where you have to really minimize yourself. And that's really what banking did for me. I love all of the things that it taught me. And 
I am a different businesswoman in general because of my experience there. And I hold myself very, very differently than a lot of women just because I worked in the corporate space for a long time. But for my clients, exactly what you said, it's the refreshingly real person that I am that makes them want to work with me. I think I just put something up yesterday that was like, if true health is not eating pancakes, like I'm out. (laughs) I don't ask my clients to never have alcohol because I don't think that's a realistic thing for them to do. And so when you do, you know, these mini snippets of diets, right? Like people do whole 30, they'll do the 21 day fix. They'll do all of these things. If you want to always go back to having wine on the weekends, don't give up wine to lose weight because it's not going to work for you long-term because you're always going to go back to wine. So, you know, I'm really teaching people how to have all of the things that they want in their life versus, you know, always going on a restriction mode. You know, the expression, you are what you eat, it was popularized about 81 years ago, and this is all just lifted Wikipedia research here, right? Not real deep. So there was an American who kind of popularized it in the 40s, this you are what you eat, but it was actually back in the early 1800s, there was this French lawyer, right? And he said, basically, in so many words, tell me what you eat and I'll tell you what you are. Do you feel like you can do that with your clients? Well, yeah, and it's not even what you eat. It's how often and why is always what I want to get to. So if you're someone who binge eats donuts on the weekends or you binge eat or binge drink, there's always a reason why. So if I get to the why that is happening, the pattern will stop. And yes, there's a level of education as far as, you know, food can be very addicting. They make it that way. So, you know, getting people back to eating real foods is half of the challenge. But whenever there is a a symptom, I call it a symptom happening, which is the binge eating, the binge drinking, the restricting, you know, a lot of women will be like, okay, I go on vacation and I have the best time. And then I have to come back and go right back on a diet. That's the problem. You know, I have to, mm-hmm. I have to. Yeah. That's what I hear. That's what I hear when you say that I have to, right. I have to, I have to go on a diet because I went and had a great time rather than saying I went and had a great time. I'm just going to wake up and eat my normal meals and drink lots of water and move my body in a way that serves me. We literally live in this culture where diets are just glorified. You know, everyone's doing, I think there's this new one called, um, I can't think of the name of it, but it's essentially you go down to eating eight or 900 calories a day for multiple weeks on end while still exercising. And everyone's like, oh yeah, but I've lost all this weight. And I'm like, you're eating 800 calories a day. (laughs) That's not enough for anyone. I don't care how small you are. But the goal is achieved. So what's wrong with that? Exactly. The goal is achieved by eating through your muscle mass. and (laughs) and Well, that's the thing. What's this intermittent fasting thing now? I'm hearing about left and right. What's the concept and what's the benefit? Or do you see a benefit? (laughs) So the funny thing is, is I saw this thing that said, you know, intermittent fasting is just a really fancy way for millennials to skip breakfast. (laughs) 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 And I, I honestly, I absolutely loved it. And it made me laugh so much because it is true. I have a couple differing opinions on intermittent fasting. So as a society, do we eat too much too often? The answer is yes. Could our digestive systems use a break? And again, my opinion, the answer is yes. Most of us could deserve a break from breaking down foods 24-7. As far as fasting in the morning, I'm not a huge fan of fasting in the morning 
Because when do we need the most energy? When should our biggest meal be? Our biggest meal should be breakfast. You should be eating like a king or a queen at breakfast because that's going to sustain you for the rest of the day. Your second biggest meal should be lunch. And then your smallest meal should be dinner when you're gearing up and going to bed. But we usually do the exact opposite. Let me grab a smoothie in the morning, followed by a salad at lunch, followed by a ginormous dinner, which our body has to work really, really hard to break down before we go to bed at night. So as far as fasting, if you were going to fast, I would actually prefer fasting past three o'clock in the afternoon because you're going to sleep better. Your melatonin levels are going to improve just by not having to work so hard to break down the food. But everyone's like, but oh my gosh, then I couldn't go to dinner or (laughs) I couldn't socialize because then I, you know, I don't eat past three o'clock. And again, we just get into this keeping up with the Joneses and having fun with everyone. Like I couldn't possibly go have fun if I couldn't eat or drink anything. (laughs) Uh, So as far as fasting though, in general, my favorite time to fast is if you are sick. If you are getting sick, if you have any sort of a cold, a lot of times, you know, as parents, we'll tell our kids, oh, honey, do you need soup, whatever? And our kids, you know, if you ask a child, they, if they are sick, they're always like, no, I don't want to, I don't want food. I don't want to eat. And, you know, the reason being is, is because when your body has to break down food, it can't fight off that sickness. Mm. So one of the worst things that you can do when you're sick is eat. So I try and fast as much as I can if I am struggling with something. Um, And usually, I mean, I'm sick for half the time somebody else's, like I said, because I gave my body that time to break it down. What was something positive that came out of this kind of lockdown period over the last year for you? I think so many, so many positive things. Of course, I'm a positive person in general, but I think the biggest thing for me is, is I didn't realize how tired I was. I had been saying yes to so many things for so long that I didn't want to do Mm. (laughs) that I feel like I spent an entire year resting and regrouping and also setting far more boundaries with myself in terms of the things that I enjoy doing and the people I enjoy being around. Mm -hmm. And I think for a lot of people, it was the same way. You know, they'd just gotten so used to, I have to do this, you know, oh, my kid has to be in this sport or, you know, I have to go to this work happy hour. And the reality is, is we don't have to, we just convince ourselves we do. Oh, yeah. See, that's the thing that gets me with all of these things. These are all well-intentioned things, even terrible diets, right? We're doing it to socialize. How much about eating is about the social aspect, about being together as a family? That's a healthy thing. That's a healthy thing to want that connection and to be social and do that. And yeah, I got the steak, even though I wanted the fish, but we're at a steakhouse, right? So I have to get the steak. But it's social. I'm getting to talk to these people and be around these people. There's value in that. People are craving connection with other people. They're craving community because we're sitting around at tables and you look down and everyone's on their phone. When really what they want is, is they want to be connecting and talking to people and having meaningful conversations. But we've all gotten away from it for so long. I think a lot of us don't even remember how to do it. You turned 35 a couple months ago. That's a big birthday. I, <laughs> I mean, is it though? I feel like when I hit 75, I'll say yes. You know what's interesting to me? Your birthday coincides. It's about a month apart, a month and a few weeks from the debut and the and the release of Ferris Bueller's Day Off, right? You see all these nostalgic <laughs> things that are coming out, right? So 35 years ago, so you were born, if I'm doing the math right, 1986. Yep. 
that was a big year for me. I was the age that my son is now. I was 10. And it was where I was entering middle school. And everybody, middle school is one of those things. I think it's a fascinating conversation to hear about what people thought about middle school. Forget high school, forget college. Did you have a positive middle school experience? God, definitely not. No, I was uh, interesting. Like looking back now, I was heavily bullied in middle school. And I don't know why, because I've always just been really nice and I feel like I've pretty much maintained the same person. I played flute in middle school. Um, I think I was first chair for a while. I was still dancing at the time, still in theater. So again, over committing was something I was taught from a really young age. If you're tired, well, we signed up for X, Y, C. So you'll be going there anyways, regardless of how tired you are. Right. And that's why I brought up the movie, because basically it was a mental health day for Ferris and his friends. They yeah. need, they needed a day off. Yep. They needed some time away. And what do they get to do? They got to drive a Ferrari. They got to go to a Cubs game, you know, like a day game. They got to catch a ball, foul ball during the game. You know, they got to connect. They got to just sit out and lounge by the pool and they got chased by their principal. You know, it's like this adventure, this kind of sense of adventure and giving ourselves that day to take and to be present. And I think the whole pandemic period gave us a lot of those days to think about it. And I think for those of us who, you know, were able to get through things and stay healthy and, and families weren't adversely affected and those sorts of things, it really gave us that time and really try to say, okay, what can I make the most of on this day? So I thought that was kind of interesting. And what have the 30s been that the 20s weren't? I mean, are you enjoying this process of these five to 10 year stints and, and the evolutions that are taking place? Yeah, I think that if, if anyone were to tell me their 20s were better than their 30s, I would be like, clearly you're not 30 yet. <laughs> <laughs> because you have far more money in your 30s. You know what you want. And for those of us who have done a lot of work myself, I'm the calmest, best version of myself. And I have so many boundaries in my life and in my business and, you know, have some of the best clients ever. And, you know, when I think of, I have nothing but gratitude when I think of the fact that my husband and I literally get up every morning and go to the gym together, cook meals together, stare at the mountains at night, you know, as the sunset goes down, you know, he's my person I get to eat lunch with if I want to there's a ton of people who do not get that opportunity. And so I don't take it lightly that we do have it very blessed. Right. And I think it's just taking stock in that and enjoying that and being okay with that mm -hmm. and being, you know, accepting that and, and being okay. Look, I'm in a great blessed place. And so I, I need to appreciate that and be proud of that and, you know, not run away from that or feel guilt from that. Being unapologetic for that, I think is where I'm getting at. You know, and being unapologetic for this, whether it's your feelings that you felt, whether it's, hey, my upbringing was this, but you know what? I'm in a new place now. I can change that. I, can, I don't have to be the victim. I can actually take control of this whole thing. And that's what I feel like you have really done in your evolution here. Being the owner of Leia R Coaching, where you're a certified personal trainer, you're a nutrition specialist, a proud vegan, and you're basically leveling people's lives up and you're offering that opportunity to connect if they need that guidance and kind of that rah-rah and that support and that uplifting, you're there, but you're also there to enrich and to provide more more guidance as well along their journey. I'm kind of like a paid best friend. You talk <laughs> about everything. <laughs> and I, you know, I love that aspect. You know, I have clients all over the world. I have clients in Germany. I have clients in New Zealand. I have Australia, the UK, and 
you know, having the opportunity to work with so many different backgrounds and everyone is trying to achieve a very, very similar goal. And the one common trend that I found for women is, is they just want to be accepted for who they are, not who they're going to be when they lose the last 10 pounds. Mm -hmm. They just want to be able to go out and have dinner and wear a bikini top and not have someone comment about it and not have someone have an opinion of them. And I think that's it. Like we're all fighting the same fight to be accepted. And it starts with us though. If you're still judging yourself, you're going to judge other people. And, you know, with getting older, I see so many women who, oh, I got to get Botox. Like I have, there's a wrinkle on my eye or I have to stop doing this now or start doing this now. And, you know, age for me is, again, it goes back to gratitude. It's a blessing you know, we don't know when our clock stops, right? We hope that every day we wake up and we actually wake up and get to embrace and live our day. But the reality is, is if people actually thought about the fact that we don't get any choice, whether that happens, I think people would think very differently. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Because we would live life every day to the fullest, rather than going, oh my gosh, look at this wrinkle or look at my gray hair. or Look at my thighs are bigger than they were last year. I don't know about you, but at the end of the day, I don't want anyone talking about my thighs at my funeral. (laughs) (laughs) Thighs off limits. (laughs) No, I just would hope there would be something else that they'd want to talk about with regards to me, (laughs) how I made them feel or how I impacted their life, or maybe I made them laugh, but you know, my weight, I would hope will not be the topic of conversation. It's so funny though, because I feel like if any of my clients were at my funeral, they would, if anyone was talking about weight, they'd like remove them. (laughs) This wouldn't be what she wanted. And it's true. (laughs) I would want everyone to eat the cake and probably get a little drunk at my funeral. (laughs) There you go. Well, I know (laughs) folks can keep up with you online. Of course, there's leiah.com. So L-E-I-A-H-R.com. So that's where you can check out everything that Leah's up to as far as coaching. You've been putting out a lot of good content as far as just quick bites, just little thoughts, uh, webinars as well. They can find you on LinkedIn as well, Leah Rushlow, L-E-I-A-H, and last name, R-O-C-H-E-L-E-A-U. You're also on IG, at Coach Leah R. Yes. Uh, so that's an easy way to find you as well uh, and keep up with things. Absolutely. I do have a new podcast coming out, which is Coach Leia Live and Imperfect, uh, because that is what I am, a very imperfect human that loves to talk about health and all the things, but also enjoys a good piece of cake. (laughs) Gotcha. Fair enough. Leia, this has been awesome to reconnect. Again, there's so many connections that, that I have to credit for the whole pageant organization and meeting folks and crossing paths. And you definitely have always been a refreshing one and always fun to catch up with when we do. So I really appreciate you being on the pod and sharing a bit of your story and some of the projects and your evolution and whatnot. Same. You are the best. So whenever you call, you know, I will answer. (laughs) Well, listen, thank you, Leah. And thank you everybody for listening to the pod of DC. I'm your host, Rick Bernstein, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Rick.